0: Hi, welcome to What's On Your Mind. I'm Peter Snowaert. And what can we learn from Stephen van Bellehem? A lot. The man has been obsessed, passionate about customer experience. Why? You will discover that in our conversation. It's a beautiful conversation. And Stephen is talking about stories you will not find anywhere else. Enjoy Stephen van Bellehem. Bye-bye. Welcome to What's On Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Right. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, Peter. How
1: are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a sunny morning in Belgium, so that that always is a good start of the day, right?
0: Yes. Yes, it (laughs) is. Now, Stephen, when I think about you and I've known you, I think around seven, eight, nine years ago, when I saw you first speaking at an event in Brussels at uh, SecureLink. And when I think about Steve van I always think about two words and they start with the K and the N. It's Knasselare and it's Knight Rider. <laughs> and because in that presentation, I remember you were showing kids, and you were also showing, you were asking the question to the audience, who in the audience Uh, knows Knesselare and I was the only one raising my finger or my hands (laughs) because at that time I was also living in Knesselare we're practically neighbors Mm -hmm. and I still have a house there Um, so um, now before we we start into the the content uh, regarding your books I want to go ask you a a couple of uh, personal questions I read an article this week where um, your parents apparently they had a shop they had a photography shop, if I'm correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. they had a photography store in, uh, in Maldeham, very close to Knesset. In Maldeham. That's where I grew up.
0: Yeah. And well, you, you grew up in Mulderham, eh? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: okay. Now, um, you mentioned in that article that your, your parents were passionate already then about customer ex- uh, uh, centricity, uh, the customer experience, um, although that term didn't exist. Do you know where that came from? Where they got it,
1: you know, is I, it that uh,
0: Maldenham's mentality? Is that that <laughs> Bruges mentality? No, I, I think it's the mentality of some
1: of, of many people who are, who are running their own business, huh? and it's, it's it's in details that you often can see the difference. It's a, it's, um, it's like when you walk outside around your store and there's something dirty on the on the sidewalk or there's an, an empty mm-hmm. can of Coke there. If that's your store, you're gonna pick it up and you're gonna. You're going to remove it because you want people to have a, a good image of your organization. In, in larger organizations, many people would come in and would call someone and say, hey, there's a can outside. We, we need to solve that. And let's mm-hmm. let's have a meeting about how we can avoid in the future that cans can be there. Whereas the small entrepreneur just thinks, let's solve the problem and then move on and, and and let's go to the next one. And that's the mentality that that I really appreciate. Um, But it wasn't just, you know, the the, the basic customer centricity mentality that they had. It was also pretty innovative in terms of marketing. I I still remember the day that my dad was invited by Achva, uh, one of Mm -hmm. the large suppliers for a photography store back then, um, for a seminar. And it was a seminar organized by the Vlerick Business School. And Mm -hmm. he had a lecture there of Erik van Voeren. And Eric back then was one of the number one gurus in Europe in terms of direct marketing. So he inspired a group of of photographers. And I still remember my dad came home and we had dinner and he was like, I just had the most amazing presentation ever from this guy. And he told me everything about it. I I still remember some of the details. And then he said, "We, we need to do what that guy just said. We're going to start with personalized marketing. This is new, and I want to do this. So what we need is we need to build a database with all the details of our customers. We need data, and then we can send personalized messages, and that will be good for the customers, and it will result in better results for us. And you and me, Stephen, we're going to build that database together. So we went to get Microsoft Access. We learned how to build the Mm -hmm. database. We collected the addresses, and me, Stephen, being then probably 13 years old or or 12, I don't know. I had to type in 3,000 addresses in that database and then they started doing personalized marketing. But I'm talking about 1988 or something like this. Most companies weren't even thinking about it, but we were doing in our small store personalized marketing. So it, it was just part of who they were and I was part of that story. I listened, I learned when I could, I participated. And that was a really important life lesson, I think.
0: And, uh, and you were 13, I mean, 88, we're about the same young age. Um, <laughs> what, what's, what, it, it seems like then automatically for you, it was a kind of process to, to walk that path of, of marketing, customer centricity, customer experience. But when was the, the eye opener for you when you were like 16 or 18 and you decided you want to study that you say, I want to focus on that or didn't it happen like that? Because it seems so like an evolution. If you explain it right now.
1: Yeah, it's an evolution. It wasn't like when I was 16 that I thought, okay, I want to I wanna go into customer experience. I, I didn't know that term. I, I, I liked marketing. I liked the business mm-hmm. world. And um, that's why I decided to study applied economics. I, I was mm-hmm. interested in, in doing a business. It was my dream to run my own business one day. And mm-hmm. I thought if if I go for economics, that's probably a good uh, a good starting point to to have many options open in in the rest of my for the rest of my life but then you know um, i i also had the pleasure i don't know if you know this i had the pleasure to spend a lot of my teenage summers in california yeah. my dad's sister she when she was 18 she uh she moved to to the states for a year to do her last year of high school again now we're talking about the 1970s. Yeah? So that, that was like the most crazy thing in our little village of Maldeham that, that someone was leaving for the big United States of America to go to school there. And she stayed in this guest family. And she fell in love with the son of that family. And she married him. And, and now they've been married for more than 40 years almost. Um, and at a certain moment when I was 13, my, my granddad... He wanted to see where his daughter lived. He, he'd never been in the US. He didn't speak English at all, but he wanted to see where his daughter lived. So he said, I want to go to the States and someone needs to join me. So he looked at his two children, my dad and his other sister and said, you guys need to join me. I want to go there for three or four weeks. And they said, yeah, that, that's impossible. Huh? And um, then my dad and my mom said, you know what, why don't you take Steven? He already speaks English. He would love to do that. He has a good connection with his aunt. So why don't you take him? And then me and my 73-year-old granddad went to the States um, for a month. We lived in a motorhome outside of the small house that my aunt and uncle had back then. And I loved it. I had the time of my life. And uh, I came back home and I asked my parents, can I go back next year? And I went back on my own when I was 14, getting on a plane, flying to the States on my own. And, and I lived with them for a week, for a month. And I kept doing that. And when I was 18 and studying here in Ghent in Belgium, uh, I spent my summers in California. I went then for three months and I studied there at UC Berkeley. And, and at a certain huh. point, I had this marketing course there. It was titled Marketing of High-Tech Products. And then I got acquainted with the whole philosophy of Silicon Valley. And I, I went to many of those organizations and that really, so that really inspired around,
0: me. That was around the end of the nineties, I assume. Eh? That's 1990.
1: Yeah. That's 1998, 1999, those, those years. And I graduated so just, in 2000.
0: So just 2000 was the dot com was the millennium bug. And then just two, two years later was the, the dot com. bubble. Yeah. Eh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, I, I did my thesis My thesis here in ghent was titled Mm. how to launch high-tech products and i did my research in silicon valley so i i went to berkeley i talked to a lot of business leaders there i interviewed like 20 companies like intel and autodesk and Mm. oracle those kind of companies i wrote my thesis and then basically i was ready to to start my professional life so that that's Mm. how that combination of interested in business interested in customers interested in technology that that's how that. Yeah, originated
0: at a certain moment, I think. But And you never thought of, about leaving Knasselouren and moving with your complete <laughs> family to, uh, to Silicon Valley? Of course.
1: Of course. When I, uh, If you would talk with my parents, they, they would say that every time that I came back from California, so I, let, let's say I was 16, I went there for a month, I came back in August, I was totally depressed because I missed the Californian lifestyle. It felt for Mm -hmm. me like a second home. It was like my dream environment, always nice weather, the positive vibes, the nature is Mm -hmm. impressive. So it was my big dream to to go over there. Um, Yeah, but you see, I'm still here. So it didn't uh, didn't happen. Life has its turns and you take your decisions. I'm very happy that I can still go there a lot professionally Mm -hmm. and privately. I like to travel to the US as well. Um, But I still live here and I'm very happy that I still live here
0: do you do you see a difference between the mentality um like 20 no with around 2000s and for example now between the the belgian culture and i'm talking i'm talking here professionally it's about more mindset and then the the us slash silicon valley based culture that we have more learned from them and are trying to inject that also a little bit that silicon valley mentality although keeping our same Belgian traditional values?
1: Well, I think a lot of changed. Uh, the, the whole philosophy around startups, uh, finding investors, thinking mm-hmm. a little bit bigger than, than Flanders, I think we see that more today than we saw that 20 years ago. I mean, if, if you look yeah. to companies like like Showpad, uh, if, if you look mm-hmm. to a an, an digital uh, agency like Interacto, where I'm part of, and there, there are more mm-hmm. examples, think Colibra, um, I mean, there, there are so many companies now that are doing a great thing and that are, that, that just started here in Belgium and that, that are becoming world references. That was something that we didn't have that much back then. Uh, and I think that's, that's a really good thing. Of course, it's not the same as Silicon Valley. There are many differences. It will never mm-hmm. be the same, but that, that's not, I think, the main focus part. I think the main focus part is that we have a lot of great people here and that there's a lot of entrepreneurship. I think we sometimes may even think a little bit bigger, bigger but I think we, we went quite away so far.
0: Yeah, the, the, the thing is, at that time, around 2002, I worked for a startup, which was not called a startup. And Frank Mano, of then working at Big Bang Ventures, just came from Silicon Valley. And we had to open an office in the US, um, hired an, uh, a gray old man, call him CEO, <laughs> and then the people in the U.S. would think this is uh, invented here because the first times we, we tried to sell the company to a big software company in the U.S., it was like, it's not invented here. And we even were associated with the whole, um, what's it called, the, the language in, in Ypres? Um, learn at the House speed be, Yeah. Because it had that Slanders very negative, value. yeah, it had that very negative vibe about technology. So, but nowadays you can have an office in Belgium and, st- and and sell your software in the U.S. Now, um, going back to the marketing thing, I mean, when I, studied, I also studied economics, I remember then things like Kotler and Drucker. And um, I still remember that marketing for me, and it's a generalization, of course, it had that shouting, we are the biggest, we are beautiful, we are shiny, you need us uh, type of thing. Whereas you... For me, you're like, you will laugh with this, eh? you're like a preacher, you're like, you're like the shaman of, um, of customer centricity and there lies a very making the world a better place behind it. Um, there's a very purposeful thing. I mean, at that time, that was rather conflicting, I assume, what you saw in marketing or did that already then exist?
1: If if you look to how we studied marketing, you're absolutely right. That was about the four Ps and about uh, segmentation, targeting, positioning. And and most people that went into marketing eventually ended up in the marketing communication area. And there's still a lot of people out there that think that marketing is the same as marketing communication. Whereas in my opinion, that's only a small part of it. Uh, I, I think every... Every time that you touch the market, every time you do something, every time you say something, you're doing marketing. Uh, Whether that's making a product, advertising or dumping a lot of shit in the river, that's also (laughs) your marketing, basically. And people underestimate that. They think we have marketing. That's the message that we share. We have that under control. And now we can do whatever we want. I'm still surprised that you have people that don't get it, that everything is linked and connected. Um, And it's still a challenge, if you ask me. Uh, Just look at the CEOs of Belgian companies or international Mm -hmm. companies. How many of them have a marketing background? It's very, very limited. Most of them have a financial background or an engineering background, but the number Mm -hmm. of people that really understand marketing at the top of an organization is pretty limited. Uh, And you have, of course, CEOs that have that naturally and that understand that perfectly and that are doing a great job. But still, at the top of an organization, there's still too many people that see marketing as uh, the communication part of the business. And I think that's that's not how it goes anymore, especially now with PR being so important, especially with social media, especially with how people look at sustainability today. So there's so many things happening that you need to be very careful and very strict with how you manage your brand. And that's still underestimated, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, but I mean you work for Intracto, I work for Drop Solid, so it's in a similar space. I mean what I see thanks to COVID is that um, the marketing thing used to be in the marketing department, but due to COVID and people were like, Whoa, where are my where is my business and things like that? I think now the The marketing thing is becoming really a CEO thing he's really involved and he wants to know what's going on and what of course what be the results of his investments and I see there um yeah a a change I wouldn't say everywhere but I mean yeah it's true do you see that also yeah
1: yeah I I I agree Uh, a lot of the underlying trends that were already happening before COVID got into an acceleration and are now top of mind, um, better service, um, uh, better communication, better products. Think about uh, society. So all these things are popping up and everyone is like, OK, this is becoming really, really urgent. Uh, if, you, if you don't get it now, I mean, you you were asleep for the last uh, couple of months. So I, I see mm-hmm. the same movement. I see the same movement, same movement
0: now. We're going to come one of uh, my, um, how do you say that, my passion, my uh, my stock parties, which is I share with you. And you have, uh, I've seen yesterday your keynote about uh, customer centricity in a B2B environment. And this is, I mean, you mentioned Oracle, you mentioned uh, Agfa, Um, I'm not going to bring down those companies, but I've been working in software and startups within IBM and for like 25 years. And there is one thing in common, And it's not about to bring those companies down. But in a B2B environment, it's very strange, but customer centricity is still not, they say it's important, but the organization and the way it's organized. I mean, you're talking about support people uh, who are like seen as the, I wouldn't say the lowest, but it's not the most highly respected job there is. I mean, why can't, What's wrong with the B2B world and how, I mean, how can we change that? I mean, should we um, start from the CEO? How can we make also the B2B world, maybe also just talking about technology, how can we change that to a more, I mean, happy happy customers? I had the same question with your partner, Leslie, uh, from Hello Customer last week, because I said, I'm speaking to Stephen. Leslie, help me. What can I do? Because I don't know anymore. I mean, should we focus on uh, a new CEO, the culture, start from the management, starting by employee, employee centricity? Where do we start?
1: It's, it's a crazy thing. Huh? I'm, I'm still surprised, just like you, Peter, that when I give a presentation and it's not specifically about B2B, that the number one question is still, yeah, but is that also important in B2B uh, customer centricity? And and. <laughs> It's, it's such a crazy thing. And you know the, the truth is also, every company that you work with, they believe that they are very customer centric. Huh? It's, like, it's like in traffic, everyone that you meet is convinced that they are the best driver in the country. <laughs> huh? but, and and it's, it's, it's the same in B2B. And I still have the feeling that many B2B people have the feeling that B2B stands for boring to boring, that you need to be extremely serious because you're in a business mm. market. Mm-hmm. I, I totally disagree i 've worked my entire life in b two b in b two b services and yeah. I still remember I, I worked twelve years at insights consulting and we were a mm-hmm. b we were a b two b marketing research company right and back then we our frustration was that Market research was seen as the most dull industry with a lot of dust on top of it, with boring people that worked there and the people in the advertising agencies. Those were the cool kids and they could do whatever they wanted. But we had to be serious because we were talking about marketing research. And at a certain moment, we decided to change that. And our purpose was to make the marketing marketing research industry a cool industry. That was our purpose in life, not just our company, but the entire industry. And then we started to think, how, what, what do we need to change? How, what do we need to remove? What do we need to add? And And that created a mindset that we started to do our presentations different than others. The way that we were dressed was different than others. Our events were more fun and wilder than all the others in the industry. And suddenly, our competitors were like, hey, they get away with it and they're actually growing. People like them more because of that. And we created Mm -hmm. fun and entertainment in a B2B world and our customers just cheered up and we were the fastest growing player in the market. And I think that this is something that a lot of B2B players underestimate that you're dealing with humans that just want to have, they want to have high quality, of course, but they also want to have fun. They want to have an easy relationship. They want to have strong Mm -hmm. human relationship. And we underestimate that. They make it so boring. And at the same time, they believe that the only thing that matters is the quality of the product. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't I have nothing against engineers uh, to make that clear. Some of my best friends are engineers, but they believe if you have technical supremacy, that you get away with all the other things. Yeah. And that product yeah. leadership is like the only thing that matters. Whereas I'm convinced that in B2B markets, if you make your interactions 10 or 20% more convenient, more fun, easier than the others in the market, you're going to win extra because of that. And yeah, yeah, some get it, but you're absolutely right. It's still sometimes difficult to convince uh, some of those more conservative people in those markets. I agree.
0: And I think also there is another monster and it's it's a delicate one I'm going to say. I mean... I'm going to uh, use an analogy. I mean, if you want to become a millionaire, you cannot focus on the money. If you want to be happy, do not focus on the happiness. Search for a kind of a purpose or a mission in life, and a side effect, you will become happy. If you want to become a millionaire, um, start serving other people by giving and helping them, and as a side effect, people will throw money at you. And therefore, the same with customers, uh, sorry, b- with companies, if you focus on, and I have a very hard discussions with a lot of people about that, eh? I mean, they talk about on the outside, like a golden uh, line, like uh, customer centricity and the customer and our people are our biggest assets. And they only talk about that 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 abbreviation ibita. Ibita ibita and <laughs> shareholder value. And I saw it, over and over and over again, and so they install KPIs to measure on 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 and everywhere, eh? and it's always about billability. Uh, you know it. Let's eh? it's it's the same, and I assume it Intracto also. Uh, billability and EBITDA. whereas I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I understand that you ha- that you need money, and they need uh, uh, um, healthy margins to 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 uh, to invest in a company, but I think it should not be. And it should you should measure it, but it should not be the core and I see it also in the company that I work for, we are shifting from operational excellence to customer centricity. Are we going to measure like the the example you gave on the the Dutch um, insurance broker? where they're going to measure everything on customer centricity. And I know it's a bet. And I, I feel a lot of resistance of people internally. And I'm not talking about management, but also operational people, developers, like, should we talk to a customer? Why? I mean, because they are paying your wages, for example. And, and I also believe that we also have to change that um, view on EBITDA. So it's not only engineering, but because I fully agree, it's it's like having the best technical product, but it's also changing the way we measure things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and of course, I, I am also a fan of, of having profitable organizations and, and to measure those results. Of course, eh? we, we need that. And as you say, that's, that's what you need to, to stay healthy and to, to grow further. But I agree, it's not the, the number one... KPI that defines behavior, in my opinion. I think the one that should define behavior is linked to customers. Because if you look at the success or failure of an organization, it's very simple. If your customers are happy and they come back and they buy mm-hmm. again and they invite mm-hmm. others to buy from you, that's your key to success. And then all the financial results will, will be a consequence of that. But the first question that you need to ask yourself is, how can we make people excited? Ah, and, and I'm a, more and more. I'm a fan of using level of excitement as a KPI. Do people get excited when they work with you? Are they looking forward to a meeting with you? Are they talking about their friends? I'm going to work with these guys. Are they telling their colleagues, "Hey, I have a meeting with Company X," and that the colleagues are like, "Wow, that is so. That's so nice. I wish I could go." Are we creating that kind of excitement? And it, it's not just a three-star Michelin restaurant that can do that. You can do that if you're in hardcore B2B. You can make yes. it excited to work with you. But you have to engineer it to to create excitement. I, I recently had an interesting, it's a different industry, yeah? but I had an interesting discussion about this with the DPG, the largest media yeah, yeah. house in, uh, in Belgium. Yeah. Uh, a couple of months ago, they organized the uh, 24 hours live yeah. from a sport palace at the biggest yeah, concert yeah. hall in Belgium. Yeah it was a huge success but i talked about them about this with them and and they actually engineered this to create excitement because their idea was we want to do something for for the audience for the belgians mm-hmm. uh, at the moment that we're a year in corona and uh, it has to be something cool so let's um, let's create something with um, with music, let's do a concert. And the first idea was, oh yeah, let's do a concert. We're going to help out the artists and it's going to be cool on the concert. Mm-hmm. But then they said, is that good enough? Is that going to create enough excitement? It's going to create happiness, but is it enough? Then they said, yeah, but we need to make it bigger. Why don't we do 24 hours instead of just a concert? And instead of inviting six artists, why don't we invite all Belgian artists? And we have a band and we'll let them play 24 yeah. hours without a break. Why don't we do it in the largest concert hall of the country and present it like U2 is performing there? That's how they started to think. And then suddenly you reach a million people out of a population of six million that get excited about it. And afterwards, they have financial results because everyone had to register. They have their data and they can play with it. And it brought them additional readers to their, to their platforms. But it started with creating excitement. And there are not enough companies that start to engineer things based on how can we create excitement and i'm convinced if you do that your investment is higher i agree but the output afterwards is also higher
0: yeah i i know dpg very well um since they moved to antwerp they um where does that initiative start? was it did it start from chris Chris the, the ceo i mean where was it starting from the marketing department where did that idea took place to do it the other way around
1: it, it's a mixture. It, it actually started from uh, the leading artists, Miguel Will's, yeah. who, who reached out uh, to them and, and said, "We want to do something We want to do something." And 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 they said, "Well, we also want to do something." And it basically started from the from the not from the TV side of the story. It started from the from the news side of the story. So they went to the CEO of uh, New City, Nicolas Laterre, and they said, okay, can we do something together? Can we sit together? And that's how the idea originated. And then they started to make it bigger and bigger. And together they placed it in the market.
0: Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So I came I mean, from the top of, of the news department, basically.
0: Okay. Well, okay, that's an, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Now, I mean, coming coming back to the, to the B2B thing, um, if you want to change a company, I mean, and back in the days when I working for, was working for a startup, I mean, we had no excuse to make our customers super duper happy because the product was like version one, something like that. So you had to jump and make sure they had extraordinary service because all the other typical bigger vendors, yeah, there were, you were a number and things like that. And... Um, I still remember today when Proximus called me and I said, Look, we have been bought by Veritas Symantic. And they're like, oh, and now we're going to buy our software. And like, why? I mean it's going to be four times more expensive. And customer success, sorry, is going to suck. Yeah, but it's 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 now a corporate and it's make it's now serious business. Okay, okay. And I didn't I, my words not even called. And it was already there. Yeah, Peter, but the support is not working. Yeah, but I don't know where the support is because they bought a company and it's scattered somewhere. So I don't know. I cannot help you anymore. I'm very sorry. But you you didn't want to buy uh, when 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 you you had access to the engineers and uh, to uh, to great extra extraordinary uh, support in a company today. What advice would you give? You say. um Look, management, you have to be customer centric. It needs to be yeah, within your values and you should hire people having that customer centric attitude. That's at least what I do. Eh? I mean, I don't look at the skills anymore. Of course, they have to know something, but they have to have hosting and they have to have like a really deep fulfillment of helping another person having that typical customer centricity. That's why I asked the question, what gives you energy? And if they say uh, money or something else, I'm like, hmm, okay. But how do you, how, what, what advice would you give if a CEO asks you that?
1: Well, um, I'm, I'm, I, I, I agree that if you have a culture that is really customer-centric, that you can hire people that fit into that. Mm-hmm. If you have a culture that is not customer-centric, mm-hmm. that will not help. Uh, It's like a soccer player that is playing fantastically in team A and then they're moving Mm -hmm. to team B and it seems like they cannot play football anymore. Is that the fault of that soccer player or is that because of the context in which that guy needs to work? I'm convinced that the context in which you arrive plays a bigger role than your own identity and your own personality. I have the feeling that a lot of people just want to help out customers because that just gives positive energy, but they don't always arrive in a context where that is allowed. So I, 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 I look for 85% to senior leadership. If, if they feel that their organization is not customer centric, it's usually their mistake. They think that they're sending signals of that people should be customer centric, but they're probably saying and doing small things that yeah makes uh, their employees don't believe them anymore. I've, I've yeah. seen this several times. So it starts with the top. And what I recommend every organization to do is to make sure that as many people as possible get direct feedback from the end user. And not in a report. Not like, okay, 75% of our customers are happy. Not, not that kind of thing. But really mm-hmm. talking with a customer, and not just listening in, in the contact center, but you as an individual talking to the customer. Like, Imagine if you have a company with 1,000 people. What if those 1,000 people would spend 10 minutes a week, just 10 minutes a week, and make a phone call with a customer to talk about their experiences, their expectations, what they liked, what they disliked. Just 10 minutes. You and me, were on the phone. Imagine what that would do with your feeling of empathy, your Level of detail of understanding what people want and don't want. I think that most organizations have dehumanized their customers by just talking about them in statistics and in an abstract kind of way. And you need to bring the real voice of the customer back, and that helps to change the mindset. Yeah, it's like it's like Peter. eh? It's like when (coughs) when a a CEO or a a member of the Mm -hmm. of the Senior leadership has a barbecue in their own backyard with the neighbors and Mm -hmm. everything. And when a neighbor comes to them and says, Peter, I used your service, but it really sucked. This and this is what happened. Look at the communication that I got. Then you will be Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I didn't know this. And it will be on top of the agenda the next Monday. But that's just luck because there's a neighbor coming to you. And then suddenly we find that it's important. What if you can have those N is one communications and yep. feedback sessions in a more structural way that will change an organization completely
0: yeah and you said the word the big e word empathy mm-hmm. and i mean sometimes i get people from from uh from from developers or or uh customer success and they're coming at me and and they're like yeah but we have to charge and we have to make invoices no no, no you have to make them happy so you have the space and and they like, yeah, but we have to talk to you to have an agreement or uh, an approval to give this or this discount. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, there are limitations, of course, but if you feel that it's necessary to give something away, make them happy. And the question I, will, I always ask them, how do you want to be treated if you were the customer, if you were be sitting in their chair? Exactly. And then you see they're thinking like, oh, <laughs> oh, and, and this week... Uh, I, uh, we had a meeting with a, a customer who was not satisfied at all, and there was a developer there, and and, the, and 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 I was I was asking deep deep questions and really getting to that pain, whereas a lot of people are really afraid of having that conversation because they're like, no, I don't want to talk about it it's going to be hurtful or painful. And after the meeting, the developer came to me, and he said to me, "We have to do something, Peter. I mean." I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I, we have to do something. They're not happy, and I'm like, "Hmm, this is this is the effect that I want to achieve." And seeing people, especially technical people, having that mindset shift and really experiencing them themselves instead of having some kind of first line help desk and then getting information through internal people. It's it's not having the same effect. It's also what Leslie said eh, about NPS. Where NPS? How do you measure NPS? And like three or four quarters ago, eh, I, I showed a picture of a NPS. We're like seven point two or whatever, eh? and people are standing like a cow in the yeah somewhere standing there. Like yeah, it's a it's a seven point two. Yeah, okay, but it doesn't say anything, and it doesn't touch their hearts. It's 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 it's, it's it says something to their head, but it's not like yeah okay but what should we do now i mean so it's also it's also that is that really bringing try to bring the your people together Mm -hmm. with with customers and and also accepting that maybe they are not trained in communication so they will say sometimes what you have with technical people they're going to be so blunt honest yeah that um that maybe they're they're crossing some kind of border. But I'm okay with that, as long as it's authentic. I mean, it is what it is, and then they feel it, and also the customer feels it, and then the customer feels appreciated, and he feels not like a number, but he feels important, even when the communication is not perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I I agree. And, And I also agree with the analysis that Leslie made about NPS. It's very abstract. Again, it's dehumanizing. And if people say we want to grow from 7 to 15, large majority of the group will think whatever. Um, Good luck with that, you um, theoretical kind of guys. I think it makes a lot more sense when you say, look, these are the kind of quotes that we're getting today. People are saying these are good things, these are bad things. What we want next year is to have quotes like this. This is what we're going to dream of. Like we had the best possible service, something went wrong, but you know, person A really helped out personally, even in the weekend at seven o'clock in the morning, we got help. Those are the kind of quotes that we want to see. And as a result, then that promoter score will be 15. But if you say we want to grow from seven to 15, nobody has an idea about their role in that. How can they contribute to a higher NPS? The higher MPs is the result of a bunch of people that do an extraordinary job, but you have to have those one on one conversations with everyone so that they perfectly crystal clear know how can we contribute to that result and and now there's a complete disconnect with with a lot of people in the organization
0: but you, you say so they have to know um, how to connect with customers um, can you 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 cannot put it into processes. I mean, it's it's like, isn't doesn't it all start with empathy? It's isn't it? I mean, how do you want to be treated? And it's it's like, imagine you are in a barbecue, and there is a neighbor coming and he's using your product or service and saying, uh, uh, "I'm not happy. Look at this." And then you will of course fix it or trying to let other people fix uh, the problem. Um, can you really put it into actions isn't it more like you said it's like more like as a leadership team you set the example you engage with customers and so you give them the example because I I don't think I I don't know can you put it into processes Uh, of course you can change the KPIs if you I I really believe that if you change the how you're being measured I mean, you can say I'm customer centric, but if you're going to evaluate evaluate your people or teams just based on EBITDA or, or billability percentage, percentage, I mean, it's not going to change behavior.
1: No, I, I think it's a combination of a number of things. You you, you need processes for some parts of the business, um, mm-hmm. but that's a foundation. That's not how you make people feel happy. It's just avoiding mistakes. Next to that, it's an attitude um, that you expect from people. But I think you need to communicate in a very clear way what you expect. And and I always work with three very simple, um, yeah, it's not a checklist, but questions to ask organizations if they're ready for that. And the first mm-hmm. question I always ask is, how do you behave or how do you want your team to behave when there's an opposing interest? Uh, because it's easy if you buy something that we're friendly and that we're excited and that we do something extra. But what if there's an opposing interest? What if you're a bank And you know that 1% of your customers has a sleeping account and they pay an annual fee for that sleeping account, but they haven't been using it for seven years. How do you deal with that? Do you let them sleep and you're silent about it to take the easy money? Or do you reach out to them and say, hey, this is what we had here, Peter, this is an issue. You should stop the account. We, we don't want you to waste any more money. Or do you go back and say, Peter, you've been paying us for seven years and you didn't get any value. We're going to refund that to you. Those are three different scenarios in an opposing interest. How do you react? And the kind of decision that you make there as senior leadership will show your customers how you're in the game. Uh, if you're only focused on short term results, you will say, let them yeah. sleep. Yep. If you're in between, you're going to be like, well, you know what, let's call them and let's stop it. If you're really customer centric, you say, hey, you paid us five euros a year for zero service. We're going to refund that. That's the only fair thing that we can do. That's extreme customer centricity. And that will show your customers, your employees, what you mean with that. The second one is if a mistake happens, how do you want people to behave? Do you want them first to find out who made the mistake? Was it you Or was it the client? Because sometimes the client can make a mistake. Are we going to figure that one out first? Or do you tell your team just, it doesn't matter who made the mistake. Just fix it first. Make sure that that customer is helped. And afterwards, we can look for ways how to avoid that in the future. But don't let the customer wait and don't blame the customer. Just solve it. And then you have a conversation. Two different scenarios will prove if you're customer centric or not. And the third one is, how far is the empowerment going from, for your teams? How far can they go to make a decision themselves? And, and I believe that you need to create a playing field for your, for your employees. You need to tell them, look, if something goes wrong, this is how far you can go. And within those boundaries, it's your decision. Just know that we want you to solve it. That's your decision. If it goes beyond that, when it's something really serious, Come to us, and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, one, one of the examples that does that in a fantastic way is the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Mm-hmm. They tell all their employees, you can solve issues up to $2,000 mm-hmm. US without asking for permission of the management. Which means that if you stay in the Ritz-Carlton and you come in your room and you see that something went wrong, and there's still some dirty towels in the bathroom, for instance, and you tell that to one of the mm-hmm. housekeeping people, They will apologize, but there's a big chance that when you come back in your room that you will find a box of chocolates or maybe a small bottle of champagne Mm. because they can decide on their own that they will compensate you for that Mm. negative experience. They will not give you the $2,000 because they know that's Mm. out of line. But it gives them a playing field and they know within those boundaries, we are allowed to do everything we think is necessary to make that customer happy. If you give them an unlimited playing field, they will not believe you. It will make them feel insecure. They will say, this is not, maybe this is not allowed. I'm going to get a negative feedback from my boss because of this. Give them the playing field and then they can play. Those are like yeah. three dimensions that I really like to work with. Uh, the opposing interests, how to solve an issue and the level of empowerment and the structure of your empowerment. And that tells me a lot on how y- your leadership has a culture of being customer centric or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I give, I, I, I'm going to help you and give you, give you a B2B example that you cool. may maybe are not aware of is you know Amazon Web Services is the the technology stack of Amazon and they have like uh, Azure from Microsoft the cloud stack and I worked with both of them and uh, Amazon, they, their employees are like customer obsessive, obsessive. That's what they call it. Okay, this means that when you um, are an engineer, you take your Visa card and you say, "I want to try out the, the AWS uh, web services, so the cloud." It's quite simple. Eh? You can you can like uh, do some kind of trial, like a month or something, and um, but you need a Visa card. Hmm? Uh, although you will be, you don't pay anything the first month. So you create an account, you're going to test, and you do the same with Microsoft. Okay, now, um, and it, this is real life. What happened? Eh? And um, you do the test, but you forgot to turn off the trial. So these systems automatically start charging you for the co- the, 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 the the storage or whatever the, the the technology that you are using, and um, they will send you an invoice. If you go to Amazon Web Services and you say, "Look, I made a mistake. That wasn't the plan. I just wanted to evaluate because my management asked me to evaluate your cloud stack um, they will say, "Not a problem at all. We give you a refund." If you go to Microsoft, they say, "Sorry, too late too late <laughs> and it's and it's and it's really real. I saw it with my own eyes and Maybe they've changed it. I don't know, uh, Microsoft. But it's really in that subtle differences. Yeah, and it, it, I, and it I, and shows I think,
1: the mentality of an organization. Eh?
0: And and I have that conversation with a lot of yeah maybe CEOs. I remember situation where where Medialan, so the, the, the previous uh, DPG, and uh, and the Pers group, and they were buying hiring servers, servers capacity, but I discovered they were not using it. So I said to them, You are not using these servers. Why don't you turn them down off and we stop charging them? And they're like, Peter, are you now, say, are now saying that you're going to lower the invoice to us? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and they were like shocked. <laughs> and so internally like, Peter, what are you doing? I said, No, but they're not using it. Why 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 should we charge them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're giving away money. No, we're not giving away money because they're not using it. Yeah, Peter, but we cannot do that and blah, blah, blah. And they say, we're going to do it. Of course, a couple of years later, because they remembered that they are buying servers capacity in huge volumes just because of that. But I always have to convince certain management members because it's like, yeah, but that's not sales. Yes, it is sales. It's an experience Mm -hmm. because you're giving them what they need and what, what value. Not because they are going to charge something that they don't use yeah. and it's that mentality that I see and it doesn't matter if it's in Belgium or in the US it's, it's all over the globe that needs to change in my personal opinion. Yeah
1: I, I, I love data. Uh, it's, it, it's all a matter of building trust and asking yourself how would you feel if you've yeah. been paying for years? A lot of money for something that you haven't been using. I mean, you, that, that's a reason to be, become really upset with an organization. And if then afterwards they say, hey, you should have noticed it and we're not going to tell you. And no, you're not getting your money back. Look at the contract. I mean, then you feel so betrayed. That's the end of the relationship. Yeah. It's, it's and, building and, trust. huh?
0: Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm going to share you one of the biggest sales techniques there is. It's so simple, but a lot of people think they they do eh, marketing technology and marketing automation and personalization. And this technology is fantastic, eh, because I sell, sell that kind of stuff. But for me, the best way to getting leads is word of mouth it's of really about it's really about creating some kind of pool philosophy is where you are going to experience it's going to and it starts with intention where you're going to in a conversation and you say, Look i'm not here that you like me, but i'm here to respect and I want to create value for you and it's the people can really feel that instead of that you have that kind of what's in it for me eh? and I want to have my commission philosophy and by doing that. It starts with one person and that person, even if we don't, if they don't sell you anything, they were going to tell it to other people. And mm-hmm. then those other people are going to other people and they will contact you and then they will, then they will not ask that question. Can you give me a discount? And it's so simple, but st- still a lot of people think, yeah, we should uh, invest in marketing, automation and personalization. Yes, you do. But start with the fundamentals. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I fully with you. I still also believe that word of mouth is the most impactful way to grow your business over time. If, if you have a a community, a a group of ambassadors that is doing the marketing and the sales for you, I mean, that's, that's how you build a strong reputation.
0: Yeah. Now, Stephen, I'm going to go a little personal now. Um, (laughs) I'm going to change something completely different. I asked also Jürgen Engels that question. I mean, you can say you are very successful, um, whatever you want to call under the definition of successful. Now, um, when I approached you like eight years or nine years ago after your uh, talk, because I was I was really enthusiastic, I was inspired, I was like, man, this is so great. I want to do this also. And this is now the podcasting. It's my way of doing uh, presentations or keynotes. And... Um, I mean you, have, you, have, you, you the offer you can't refuse i mean is a is a is a hit it's also in in the u s it's a, it's in the top 20 or top ten books how is it possible that you stephen are at least that's my perception and, and, unless you are playing or faking and i don't you, i don't think you you are a faker um and also we have a, a good friend in common. What you were studied with, so uh, I also have a kind of a check there. Is um, is is how do you stay? How do you keep your ego in check? Why does it come that your feet are still on the ground and you're not in your and you're not like? Look at me, the sun is shining through my ass. Where do you where do you get that? How do you do that, Stephen? Share me.
1: <laughs> That's the most difficult question I, I ever had. Uh, first of all, thanks for the for the compliment. I I appreciate that. That's what I what, what I try to do it's what a lot of people tell me that people who knew me 15 or 20 years ago that that um, i'm still more or less the same i don't know i don't know it's it's i i don't think that because you write a book that's been, that's selling good or that you can do some presentations on on nice international stages that you're better that or worse than someone else i think that everyone has their place in the in the how do you call it, the circle of life. Huh? And, and we're all trying to contribute in our best possible way. And I think that, um, that I appreciate what other people try to do. And I, I don't see myself as some exceptional, successful person. I just try to work hard, try to do my best every single day. And and and, and trying to do good for other people when I can. Uh, but I don't know. I, it's probably and- my the way that I was raised, I assume. I don't know.
0: Okay, and it's 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 you know you never had that. I mean, I had that to be honest. I mean, when you have a startup and you sell it and blah blah blah, you think that uh, you think that everything you touch is gold. You you never had that when you're around thirty or something that that you that you had an ego that you think I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, people uh, because I assume also that a lot of people praise you for that. I mean, if I see the reactions on social media, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I mean. Yeah, you're popular as it co- as a, as as you could call it. I mean, or is it? Because I also knew, know is that when I was living in Knsselaren, and I went to the um, uh, Here to with with is uh, store of yeah. um, where is it? He, he sells and cigarettes and yeah. yeah and things like that. And um, and and I also uh, got invitations that in the local pub or restaurants. you sometimes you give a kind of a uh, presentation for free.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did that a couple of times. The,
0: yeah the same i think it's, it's it's like similar to the keynote that you're giving but i mean a little adapted i mean is is it that or is it because of you you going to the i don't know how do you call it where you are getting meet with your children and they give they know that your child is coming and the wednesday and they want the samson uh, salami <laughs> or something like that um yeah i just want to find out how do you do that because it's 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 a It's a thing that I see with a lot of people, successful people at some certain point it goes wrong then they then they think they they're getting in their heads and they yeah they're thinking that they are like the number one rock star and yeah. it's not easy to stay humble when you're successful
1: i ne- I never had that i I always have this enormous doubt and fear that at a certain moment things will will go wrong and that i will i will have to look for something else and and that's one dimension of it. And the second dimension, I, I still wanna I, I see this as a journey that I'm on and I still have a lot of ambitions, a lot of dreams that I want to achieve. And and I know there's only one way to do that and that's by, you know, working working hard, making sure that you bring high quality and that you respect other people. And and that's things that's something that I just like to do. And it's yeah uh, I, for instance, I think it 's very important to myself to be very accessible uh, the um, if if people send me an email there 's a ninety nine percent chance that they will get an answer um, even if okay. if they ask something that I cannot do or that i don 't have time or that i don 't feel like it, I will try to say no in a friendly in a friendly kind of way, but there 's a ninety nine percent chance that they will get an answer and it 's always me. I do that myself on social media as well. I do my own social media if people ask me a question, on social media there's a 90% chance that you will get an an answer. There's so many questions coming in and sometimes I miss a few but there's a big chance that I will reply to that and I think that's just normal. I'm always so thankful when I see someone who posts like a picture that they're reading my book or that they saw Mm -hmm. a presentation and that they say something kind. I'm, I'm always so happy with that. Still today I'm very happy with that and I think it's only polite for me just to Thank them back and show them that i've seen it i yeah i i couldn't go to sleep if i knew that i wouldn't be polite to people that appreciate okay. my work yeah i I I, can't, I I wouldn't be able to live with that
0: okay that's that's cool i think you underestimate the impact you have on people and that's not to, to, to put some uh jam <laughs> on your beard as they call it in dutch <laughs> but we have we had some interns and um and your book was lying around around my desk and um and yeah, these interns are marketing students from Artevelde Househol, for mm-hmm. example. And and uh and one of them they ask, Can I read this book of Steven? I'm like, Yeah, of course, you, you can take it to read it. Uh, I even um forced one of my interns in sales team, you have to read this book. Hmm? Read it. Um for your for your internship. And um and, and then I was like, i I have Steven on the podcast in a couple of weeks, and their eyes are like it's like you were talking and I'm not going to say it. Uh, a little in 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 other worlds, eh? you're having a and an, a conversation with Michael Jackson. I mean, really? <laughs> it it was that kind of feeling. They're like, seriously? How did you do that? And I was like, I just asked him. Wow. And they were, and they were they were so and like Stephen Van Belleghem, yeah. And, and and it's so strange to see twenty year, 20, 21 uh, year young people, yeah, looking and they're thinking you're old and I'm I'm old and you're like some <laughs> kind of gods uh, and and it's, it's so strange to see that like yeah he's a, he's, he's just a normal guy he, he he i lived not so far from him a um, couple of years ago so it's really strange now coming back steven because we're going to close down <laughs> yeah that's really um, nice
1: it's really nice to hear you can you can thank him for that it's uh <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> i will do nice. that the um, you're talking about a journey are you talking about dreams what what is one of your biggest dreams and make it make it bigger, Stephen. I mean, saying I'm going to talk a uh, TEDx in in Las Vegas for <laughs> for hundred thousand people, that's doable, Stephen. I mean, and 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 your book becoming a number one on Amazon, that's doable. That's the easy part.
1: No, my 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 dream, uh, my big Harry audacious goal is yeah. that that I would love to, if in any company in the world, they're trying to be customer centric or they're thinking about it or they have a question about it, that they look for my content, that they, that they find inspiration in the things that I do that help them to improve their customer experience and that I can be the number one resource in the world. To help people to become more customer centric that's that's my dream and and they don't need to call me they don't need to email me if they go to my youtube and they find like a two-minute video there that can help them to do a better job towards their customers and and that brought them inspiration that's my dream i would like to be the the, the most referred source to um to make sure that companies become more customer centric that's the biggest dream okay I have. cool
0: the and last question dream. if you. Cool and and personally,
1: oh, personally, my my dream is just to to that that me and my family that we can keep our life as it is. We're we're very happy. We're very fortunate. We we can do a lot of cool things, and we're very getting along very well. Everyone is healthy. Um, that that's the most important thing there.
0: And do you see doing this what you're doing right now still within ten years?
1: I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. I really love what I do. Um. I was really scared in the beginning with COVID that I would be out of a job for a year and a half. But then I was amazed to see how much we can do digitally and how actually my my business increased um, during COVID. So, so that gave me a lot of hope. And, and I really learned that, that this is what I like to do. And, and you know, sometimes I do some side projects. Huh? Like like last year, as you, as you probably know, I had a thriller that came out, Eternal. Yeah. Um no. there's going to be a second thriller that comes out this year and then a third next year so it's going to be a, a, a three it's going to be three uh three chapters or three different books so so that's like then a, a little side project but I also put my energy in it so I'm I'm am having and fun with all those extras as well.
0: And when is the movie going to be released on
1: Netflix? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's also a dream. It's also a dream. But it's, uh, it's, it's a possible. long it's a long shot. It's a long shot. We'll see. And,
0: and if you go back in time, and you take a DeLorean, and you would meet the Stephen when he is entering at 18 years young, with a pincher in his hand, <laughs> and he's standing in front of uh, of the of the Ola in the and going to the university in Ghent, what kind of advice would you give him?
1: You know, there's not that much that I would like to change. I had a lot of fun as a student. I had a great uh, professional evolution, and everything came at the the right moment. The only thing that I'm so sorry about is that I didn't go more to the classes uh, when I was in university, especially the last two years. I was seldom there. I was doing other things, but I wasn't in my classes. I just studied it on my own. And I'm so sorry about that because now I know the kind of professors that I... That I had there, I, I know them. I know their work. I know that they're doing great things, and I would have learned so much more by just listening to their expertise and just be more interested in the content and not just study it to get through university. I, yeah, that, that's something that I'm that I'm feeling sorry about that I didn't take more classes.
0: And and in general, if you look back, Ale, when you are forty year plus, and 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 look, and and you're meeting the eighteen year young. Stephen, in terms of life advice would you say say things like follow more your intuition or what what or buy b- nicer shoes or something or <laughs> or get away all for your hair or whatever or or or, or sports or something or drink more water or something or what what advice would you give yourself then I don't if know. you look back on your life i don't know there, there's
1: not that much that that i would do different or that i feel sorry about that i i i I think one of the things that I've always done is, is follow my dreams and always assume that, that, that I can achieve them and make them real, and I would just say, just never, never lose that, because a lot of the things that you're dreaming about today will probably happen. just follow the path and, and, and dare to dream and then dare to chase the dreams and don't feel you know scared about it and, and, and just go for it. And yeah, I would just confirm that that would be a good life choice,
0: I think. Okay, cool. Now, when is the the next book coming?
1: Business book, you mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know, but probably there's no concrete plan yet. But probably that will be twenty twenty three. And you already have.
0: I already have an area. Of? No. No.
1: Okay. No. No. I'm gonna. Usually I, I start like 12 months before I want to write. I start with the research and I start to, to play with that. Now I, I'm just having an open mind and I play with concepts. I play with the current book, adapt it, and, uh, and that just gives me a free mind at this moment to, to look at everything that's happening with an, with an open
0: scope. The, the thing that I find surprising is that when I read your book um, years ago, uh, When Human Becomes Digital, that's the correct when, title. When Digital Becomes Human. Digital Becomes Human, sorry. Yeah. Is that I thought this book is going to be old, um, like in 2021, but it isn't. No. I mean, the still, princi- okay, the examples, but the principles there are still applicable today. And I think they will last the, how do you say that, the test of time.
1: I agree. I think if there's one book out of the five that I've written that will always be relevant and it's when digital becomes human and and it came out in 2014, so it's seven years ago, but still, I think every week I have organizations that ask me, can you bring that story? And I bring it, of course, in an updated kind of way. But as you mentioned, the basic philosophy behind it Mm -hmm. is still extremely accurate, maybe today more accurate than in 2014. And many many yeah. organizations still use it to to define their strategy and i still love yeah. working with that concept
0: yeah 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 Steve, thanks a lot for the time pleasure and uh, i wish you all the best and um, yeah see you soon eh?
1: same for you peter and thanks for having me in the show it was a it was a fun conversation Thank
0: you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Take care. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's On Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.